Great to be here with you guys at Manurewa. Thank you, Pastor Don and Haley, for having me along. This is awesome and a really great privilege. And uh, I want to start tonight by talking about probably one of the great revivals you've never heard about. And uh, it's a New Zealand revival. There's been a number of extraordinary New Zealand revivals. And one of them occurred in Dunedin in 1905. Now, I know it's a long time ago. In fact, Pastor Kerry, you would have just been finishing high school around then, I imagine. Um, <laughs> you see me keep moving, just because I don't want to. I don't want to give him a stationary target. That's all. Um, but it was an extraordinary thing that happened, and I want to uh, talk a little bit about that this evening as we uh, kick off into our revival night tonight. A visiting evangelist was invited to the city. At the time, the city was around about 50,000 in population, which is probably a little bit smaller than Papatoi is now. Give you some idea of the kind of population base that was there. And uh, this visiting evangelist had been invited to come to New Zealand uh, to do a, a series of meetings. And he gave a couple of, uh, couple of initial meetings and really, really poor turnout. So the evangelist called a prayer meeting. And people were intrigued to see what was going to happen. They expected, you know, uh, there'll be 20 or 30 of the, the religious ones would turn out to the prayer meeting. Uh, but the anticipated religious few turned out to be... 250 people that turned up for the prayer meeting, which were held in a, in a hall that was smaller than this chapel, and 500 people gathered outside trying to get in. Something was happening. They had the next two public meetings that were scheduled were for Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. On Sunday afternoon, the, the public meeting was again fairly average in attendance, and the visiting evangelist explained the gospel. He talked about the, the, the power of sin and, and how destructive it is. And, and he finished by giving an altar call for people who are willing to make a stand against sin in their lives to stand up and come forward. Nobody moved a muscle. Evangelist apparently exploded with anger, struck the pulpit, and then shouted that he could not believe that men and women would be too afraid to stand up for their convictions. That night, the second meeting was jammed to capacity. 2,000 people turned up and filled the town hall and hundreds were left outside. It was an awakening. The whole city began to sit up and take notice. The local paper reported on the thousands who were stirred up. Night after night, the town hall was jammed to capacity with three to 400 people outside. In fact, they had to end up employing a bunch of men who stood outside because there was a real danger that the crowds would actually break down the doors, the town hall, to get into the meeting to hear the gospel. People just wanted to be there. And, and the city council, get this, the city council even passed a resolution that until the end of the revival, no buses would run on Sundays so that uh, bus drivers could have an opportunity to take their families to go and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The city council passed that resolution. It was an extraordinary time. It only lasted for two weeks. But at the end of two weeks, churches were full, people were moved, lives and their trajectories were changed forever. And the question is, how did it start? What I didn't tell you about was that after those initial two meetings, the evangelist called a prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, a whole bunch of people came out to their prayer meeting. And, and just as the, they sang a couple of songs and then the uh, evangelist was about to get up and give an address. And, and 
The band had just finished, and just before the evangelist began to speak, a well-known lawyer kicked his chair back, stood up, and addressed the speaker and everyone else. And he confessed that if what God had done in other cities was not happening here in our city, he said, the fault is not with God. God is willing, so the fault must be with us. And then he then stated that he hadn't shared his faith with anyone, hadn't even attempted to share with anyone in his workplace for over a year. He said, it's wrong. He said, come on Monday, I'm starting afresh. He said the whole crowd was, was stunned. They said he could have heard a pin drop. Then suddenly the sound of another chair being kicked back, another man stood up. He said, I, I, I too have got to come clean. He says, I confess, I have not led my family in devotions. We haven't read the Bible together for over three years. He said, I commit myself to God. That's going to change on Monday. They said it was then like gunfire, just bang, bang. Chairs being kicked over as men and women leaped to their feet. Said, I, I got to come right. I, I, I confess this. And he said, many, many, many people in that meeting said, I am aware that I have been falling short of what God is calling on my life. And he said, I, and, and they would stand publicly and commit. I'm, I'm going to change that. That's what turned tight. You see, if revival is to be, it's got to begin in And that's the way it always starts. It always starts with one or two brave ones going, okay, I'm going to turn it around in my life. I'm going to start with it. So what I want to challenge us about tonight is I want to challenge us about three prayers that I believe we need to start praying if we want to see God awakening us again. It's actually really just one prayer with like a couple of different iterations, but it it comes from what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And he said, okay, disciples, you want to know how to pray? Okay, here's how you pray. Kind of goes something like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will done earth as it is. And, and I think that that's the revival prayer. That's the part of it right there, right? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I want to suggest tonight that, that there's a, a few prayers that we need to learn to pray. The first one is this, Holy Spirit, not my will, but your will be done. You see, team, I, I'm not mine. The Bible tells me that I've been bought at a price. It changes a whole bunch of things, right? It means that my time is not my own. My life is not my own. My things are not my own. And here's the problem, right? Obedience is seldom convenient, and obedience is seldom cheap. But if we want his kingdom to come, then we've got to start with his will being done, and it's got to begin in me. Remember many years ago, we were living in Dunedin, and um, it was a few years after the revival. Um, and, um, but it was, you know, Dunedin's cold. Like, it's a freezing cold place. And, and, I, and I, I really needed a new jacket, and we just decided, you know, I'm the guy who always goes to save my heart, like uh, I'm that guy, and we just decided now we're going to buy me a really good quality jacket. Now I need one, so we went down. Kathmandu had a sale on. We found this jacket. It was like legit. It was fully seam sealed. It was waterproof. You could wear that thing in a hurricane and not even get blown away. It was unbelievable, and it was on special. It was down from like 500 bucks down to 300 bucks. I've never bought a piece of clothing worth 300 bucks in my life. So this was like this was like full on. This was a big deal for me. You know, I grew up in a really poor family, and so buying stuff for me has always been an issue in our marriage, and. But what we're going to do is, so I bought this jacket, and so we went up to the counter. I bought this jacket, and as I was paying for it, as I was paying for it, there's a little whisper. 
It's not yours. I'm like, get me, get behind me, Satan. And this little whisper just says, it's not yours. You're going to send it to your dad. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's been a clear misunderstanding. My father provides clothes for me. I don't provide clothes for my father. And my dad's fine. I mean, like, I know he's outdoors a lot, but, like, he's got heaps of jackets. He's got heaps of jackets. He does not need this jacket. And let's be honest, he wouldn't appreciate it anyway. It's not going to happen. And so for a whole week, I kept that jacket in my closet. You know what, though? I couldn't wear it. Because every time I went to look at it, at this little voice, I felt like I'd stolen it. I felt like it wasn't mine, like it was stolen goods. Honestly, it's exactly how I felt. I've got to put my jacket on. It's like, not your jacket. Well, you can't, it's not your jacket. You can't put on that jacket. It's not your jacket. I'm like, what? This is crazy. At the end of the week, in absolute desperation, going completely nuts, convinced that I was hearing voices. I went, okay, God, if this is you, and I'm sure it's not, because I, really, I really didn't want it to be. So fine, fine, you win, fine. Because I'm so mature, fine. So I took the jacket, went down to the post office, I bundled it up, put it in a box, sent it off to my parents. Two days later, I got a phone call from my parents. This is how the phone call Hey, Mike, thank you so much for the jacket. Let us tell you what happened that day. So that, my parents at the time were living in a house bus. They said, we, we drove into town. We, we'd had notification that there was a parcel waiting for us at the post office. So we went in and we picked up the box. And then we carried it around town for four hours while we walked around from place to place trying to buy a new jacket for your dad. But we couldn't find anything that would do the job. We couldn't find anything good enough that we could afford. And so we went home dejected and then opened this box to find this astonishing, seam sealed, perfect, weatherproof jacket that my dad wore day and night basically for the next five years. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Amen. Now, the second version of this prayer goes like this, Holy Spirit, not my way be done, but your way be done. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we don't like that part about God. We, we want to do it our way, if that's okay with you, Lord. It, like, I'm comfortable with my way. I kind of get my way. If that's cool, we could do that. And, and often what happens is God will, will, will show us something, and it's a bit new, but then we go with that, but then we, then we become comfortable with that. And then after that, if God says, no, we're going to do it a different way, we go, no, no, we're not. We're going to do it this way. This is the way. This is the way you showed us, Lord. This is the way we will do it. And if this is how denominations start, this is the way. And that, that way is wrong, and it can't be you, Lord, because you showed us this way. Like Moses in the burning bush, right? If Moses started a church, who knows it'll be the church of the burning bush? You couldn't get saved without a burning bush experience because that was the way God did it for Moses, right? That must be the way, so that's the way we're going to do it. The funny thing is, is that there was only ever one burning bush and Moses only ever saw it once and it had nothing to do with the bush. God was just trying to get his attention. Every other time God spoke to him, he didn't use a bush. How many times do we, do we do this? We, we get something and we go, and that's the way. That's the way it's going to be now. But actually, you know what? If we want to see God do something fresh, if we want to see an awakening, we've got to be willing to say, God, not my way, but your way be done. And Jesus was the master at this. Like Jesus, he, he did, often did the same thing in different ways. And I think it was because he knew that the problem is, is once we get away, we make a system out of it. And then once we've done that, we worship the system instead of the Lord. And that's the problem, right? I, I love the story that time when, when some people brought a guy to Jesus. 
Like they'd obviously seen Jesus healing somebody and Jesus laid his hands on them and healed them. And they were, they were healed. And it was awesome. And they, and they came to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, here's another guy. Here's another guy. He, he's, uh, you know, he's deaf and dumb. And can, can you lay your hands on him? And, and it's so interesting. Listen to what Jesus did. Mark 7, 32. I love this. So people brought him to him, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. And, and so what did Jesus do? He said, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Think about that. And then he spit, and then he touched the man's tongue, and he was healed. Funny how that one never caught on, right? Like, if you're on prayer tonight, that's not going to happen up here. You're not going to come forward for prayer, and someone's going to say, Hold still. <laughs> and then spit on the ground. And then stick his tongue out. Like, and then when Jesus touched it, I don't think he was touching it. I think he was just wiping the wax off. <laughs> Boom, you're healed. Like, if, that, if we tried that on a Sunday, you would all be at a different church next Sunday. All right? It's not going to happen. That one never caught on. And it's kind of like Jesus is going, no, 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 no. We're not going to do this the same way. We're going to do this totally different because otherwise you're going to think this is the system. You're going to think this is the way and you're going to worship the system and the way instead of coming to me. It's not about the way. It's about me. I am the way. Amen? Some of us here, some of us here, we have things we do because at some point we did them out of obedience to God but now if we're really honest, we only still do them because we're afraid that if we stop or if we do it a different way, God won't bless us. It's so interesting. And that's fear and that's religion. The system has become Lord instead of Jesus being Lord. And look, and this is funny. But, you know, some time ago, some time ago, I, I really decided after Lord speaking to me heaps that I really needed to be quite, quite, quite set and strong on having a, a weekly Sabbath. Now, I'm working full-time, I'm studying part-time, I've got a bunch of stuff on, and I just need a day to stop and just to rest and to sleep and eat lots of toast. And, and that was going to be our Sabbath, right? But the problem is this, once you start doing it, then, then, then you get to the point where you're serving the Sabbath now. I can't do anything else on that day. It's become a little bit of a, a rule thing. And, and the Lord says to me, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Lord of you. And if you need to do something different on your Sabbath, as long as it's still life-giving, then... But sometimes that's, sometimes that's how some of our traditions get a hold in us, and there's nothing wrong with many, many traditions unless you find yourself keeping the tradition only out of fear. What would happen if I didn't do it? Some of you, this is a word from the Lord for some of you tonight, let it go. Change it up. Start a new tradition. He loves you. He delights in you growing in Him. Don't be afraid. You can try new. And if you don't like it, you can go back to the old. So important. Lord, not my way be done. Your way be done. Here's the third version of that. Holy Spirit, not my when be done, but your when be done. Because you know what? Time is such a precious commodity, isn't it? Life, especially living in a big city, man, we spend so much time traveling. 
buses and cars and all kind of stuff. You know, sometimes the problem is we're just not interruptible. But if we are truly following Christ and He truly is Lord, we have to live interruptible lives when God actually can have access to our time and our hours and our afternoons if He so desires. How many years ago we had a, I was in a, when I was just a part of the young adults group and I've been saved a few years and we had this young guy who was part of the group and he was just kind of on again, off again. You know, he'd be at church for a while, then he wouldn't be and then he'd come back again and he, he got involved with this girl who wasn't a Christian and, and he just disappeared off the radar. And, and, I, and I tried to meet up with him like three times, rang him, said, hey bro, come down, I'll buy you a coffee, we'll catch up. And just so I could, you know, build some relationship again and see what's going on and look, let's look at the decisions you're making, is this the best thing? And three times he stood me up and I, I realized he, was, he wasn't coming. And I was at church one Sunday, and I was just really convicted about this, and I really felt God convict me. Someone just needs to pray for this. Someone needs to just go for it. So I, I, I talked to a couple of my other mates. said, guys, I really feel like we should just pray for him. And I'm thinking, man, we'll just go back to the flat, and we'll just, like, let's just, let's just put aside the afternoon. Let's just not do all the stuff we normally do. Let's just put aside the afternoon and just go to God and see what God could do. And you know what? No one else could do it for a whole bunch of reasons that I'm sure were valid or probably weren't. But... Um, so, and then it was just me, and I went back to my flat, and I, um, I had some lunch, and then I just sat down in my lounge and said, okay, God, I didn't, don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to intercede. I don't know how to pray. I, I don't have a clue. So I'm just going to get you to lead me, and I'm going to pray. Whatever comes into my mind, but God, I'm praying for this guy. I'm praying for this guy. And so I just started praying. And I, I expected to be there for most of the day. And, 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 and that's really hard, right? Because, like, I, I, I pray everything I can think of, and that's, like, 20 seconds. And then, like, Oh, this is gonna man, this is gonna be a long afternoon. Yeah, but so I but I'm settling in, right? I really feel God wanted to do this. I got to like 45 minutes just praying for this guy. God, just reach him somehow. God, just do something, break through in this world and read my Bible and praying again. And about 45 minutes, I hear footsteps pounding along the outside kind of balcony thing that led to our flat. And then bang, 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 bang on our door. I'm like, I don't want to answer that. Man, I'm praying. Like, this is inconvenient, like the whole thing. Help you read. So I go to the, open the door, and guess who's standing there? The exact guy I'm praying for. He's standing on my doorstep. He's in tears, and he's going, bro, he goes, I, I don't even know what happened. He said, bro, it all just blew up like 45 minutes ago with this girl. He says, I just got to give my life back to Jesus, bro. Would you pray with me? Absolutely true story. I'm like, goosebumps. Pray with this guy, lend back the water. It's amazing. The things that might happen if we were able to say, God, not my win, but your win be done. If, if I might be interruptible enough that God could lead me to do something like that and not have any idea, but just go and sit there anyway. And, and, and you know, like we, we read hey, in the book of Daniel about how Daniel goes to, to seek the Lord and, and, and then nothing happens. Like nothing happens first that day and, and there's no answer from God by next Tuesday. And then it's like three weeks and he's out there, and then suddenly poof, this angel turns up. And what does the angel say? He says, from the moment you began to pray, an answer was sent. What astonished me was apparently from the moment I started praying for this guy, God went to work. God started doing things. God started putting things into action. Absolutely astonishing. What might God do if we might begin to pray, God, not my when be done? We'll get the team up now. We're going to wrap this up in just a couple of moments. You know, as, as Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
it's, uh, it's quite an astonishing moment in his life, right? Like we read in Isaiah 50 about this prophetic thing that as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for the last time, knowing what he was coming to, it says that he set his face as, as flint. There was a moment where he just like he just had to set himself for it. No more negotiation. I'm just going. I have to do it. And he went into Jerusalem. But then there's another moment, that moment the night before, when all of a sudden the horror of what he has to endure is coming crashing in on him. And he heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's wrestling with the reality that if he stays the course, he's going to be brutally and he is going to be crucified on a cross for hours and hours and hours and his body finally breaks and dies. And what does he ask for? He just asks for one thing. He says, disciples, will you pray with me? Will you give me one hour? And none of them could. None of them would. For all of them, their own will was still too preeminent in their lives. It was their will, not his will. Their way, not his way. It was their win, not his. And what intrigues me about this is I wonder how might how might that have been a little easier for Jesus if they had stopped? They'd just gone to prayer for him. Maybe the assault from the devil wouldn't have been so bad. Maybe I I, I don't know what it might have been, but I know one thing. Jesus asked them for a reason. Something would have been different if they had prayed. Something would have shifted. There would have been some breakthrough, something. Maybe it would have been purely for the disciples if they had stood with him in prayer. If they had gone there, maybe it would have gone easier on the disciples. I don't know. But I know that there was a reason why Jesus said, will you stand with me and pray? And it kind of breaks my heart that they didn't. Yet the problem is I know I'm exactly the same. Will we, when the Holy Spirit nudges us, to pray for someone, to pray for ourselves, pray for our family, for our kids, for our friends, someone that we've seen walking along the street. It's like, you know what that's like? I'm sure we've all been there. You walk, you're walking or you're driving and you just see someone and you just look at someone and you just know they're so much more broken down than you. And there's something inside you just goes, oh God. Would we just take a minute to pray for them? Would we take 10 minutes to pray for them? Because I really believe if we're going to experience an awakening, if we're going to, if God's going to revive us, bring us back to the kind of life that we are meant to have through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got to start praying these things. We've got to start praying these things. Lord, your will be done.